talked about last week the fact that many people search all their lives trying to find the meaning for these three questions. Number one, who am I? Number two, where am I going? What's going to happen after this life? After this life's over, what happens next? And then number three, what about the right now? While I'm living here on this life and in this life, what am I supposed to be doing right now? We talked about the book of 1 Peter helps to answer those questions. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in 1 Peter the next several weeks. And we're looking at this particular letter uh, first of all, to teach us how to live, but also to help us learn how to live a godly life in a world that's increasingly becoming more and more ungodly. It's becoming more and more, uh, it's draw, drifting further and further away from God, not only our country, but our world in general. So First Peter helps answer the question, how should we live and, and what should we do? And we talked about last week that the author of this book is Peter. It's the same Peter that was an apostle of Jesus Christ. We read about Peter. We become familiar with Peter in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We talked about the fact that Peter was the kind of the leader, the spokesman uh, for the apostles. We talked about the fact that we remember when Peter walked on the water. We remember when Peter made that great confession when Jesus says, Who do Men say that I am, and they, the apostle said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. Uh, Jesus then said, who do you say that I am? Peter made that what we call the great confession of thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's in Matthew 16, verse 18. So Peter had some great uh, accomplishments while he walked with Jesus on earth. But he also had some times where he didn't shine so brightly. Remember when he was walking on the water? And he was, there he was, walking on the water just like Jesus was until he started focusing on the water and started to sink. And so but Jesus had to save him. And then we also remember Peter's great denial where he denied Jesus three times at, at Jesus' trial. But aren't you glad that it doesn't say here that Peter was a former apostle or a restored apostle. He just says apostle. God wasn't done with Peter. Jesus wasn't finished with Peter when Peter made that denial. Jesus reinstated him. Jesus restored him. And Peter went on to preach the first gospel sermon to the Jews. And he preached the first gospel sermon to the Gentiles in the book of Acts. The Jews' sermon is in Acts 2. The Gentile sermon is in Acts 10. So God used Peter in a mighty, mighty way. I'm thankful that God deals in futures and not pasts. God deals with our past, but he doesn't hold our past against us. Once he's cleansed us, once he's restored us, he moves on and he looks toward the future. We talked about the fact that Peter wrote this little letter to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter uses the word pilgrim. Some translations say strangers or sojourners, uh, aliens, exiles. All of those words are good uh, descriptions of who these folks were. They, they were away from their home. They were away from where they lived. They had been scattered. 
They've been scattered by God for the purpose of spreading the gospel throughout what we see as modern-day Turkey. Today, this area, or the area in Paul's day, in Peter's day, that was known as uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, we know it as Turkey. That's the area that we're talking about. It covers the geography. It's about the same size as Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New York as far as uh, the square mileage. So it's a pretty good-sized area that these Christians were scattered about uh, and away from home spreading the gospel and living for Jesus Christ. Uh, we said that the book was written by Paul, it was, or by Peter. Now, I made this disclaimer last week, I'm going to say it again. I'm so used to saying Paul because Paul takes up such a big part of the New Testament. Uh, I'm liable to say Paul instead of Peter. I know the difference in those two guys. Uh, and so know if I say Paul, I mean Peter because I'm going to misspeak that probably more than once as we go along. But Peter writes this book to these pilgrims, uh, and he helps them find out who they are. They're pilgrims, they're strangers, they're scattered. And we said that Thayer in his de uh, Dictionary of New Testament Words says this word alien or sojourner or pilgrim or stranger is one who comes from a foreign country into a land or city to reside there by the side of the natives. And we said that that was very similar. I told the story last week of the fact that when I was 21 years old, I went to a foreign country in Southern California. And uh, everything was different. When I landed, everything looked like a Taco Bell. Uh, everything was blacktop and pavement and building and people talked funny. And uh, they must have talked, I thought I talked funny because they invited me to parties just to talk. I said, what do, you want me, us to talk, what, what do you want me to talk about? I don't care, just talk, just say something. So I guess I was as strange to them as, as they were to me, but I was living alongside of those people, alongside of those native people. That's who these folks were. And so verses 3 answer the question, who am I? Verse 2 tells us, or, or verse, uh, yes, 2 tells us, that they were elect, they were chosen. And notice how the Trinity is involved in all of this. They were chosen, we are chosen, we are elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God the Father is the master planner. God the Father is the one who puts it all together. God's the one that has the plan in mind. He's the master architect of our salvation. Then he says that in sanctification of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, Notice that word spirit there is a capital S. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God the Spirit. He is the one that sanctifies. Sanctification means set apart as holy. The Holy Spirit helps us to become holy. We are not holy in ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us do that. Notice there are two things that the Holy Spirit helps us to do. It helps us to be obedient. You see, I can't be obedient on my own. You can't be obedient on your own. The Holy Spirit convicts us and guides us and shows us and leads us to obedience. The Holy Spirit also leads us to the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is the ransom price. Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin. Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. It tells us that we're sinners. It tells us that we need a Savior. 
Jesus Christ's blood is the agent of our salvation. So all three members of the Trinity, both of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all take part in who we are. Verse 3, blessed be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has who according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again, or he has made us alive again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. What does Jesus do for us? What does the Holy Spirit do for us? He gives us new life. He gives us new birth. Until that moment in time, we call it getting saved. That's our 2022 term for it. But the scripture refers to it as being born again. The new birth. Remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? Jesus didn't even have any kind of introductory question. He just says, you must be born again. And all of us must be born again. And that comes through the, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, and the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been born again. We've been given new life, and we've been given hope. We've, been, we've got a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and of the dead. Because Jesus raised from the dead, because Jesus is not in that empty tomb, because he lives, I can live. Because he lives, you can live. And all of that is a gift of the Lord. God makes us who we are. He chooses us, he elects us, he makes us who we are. We're chosen according to God the Father's foreknowledge, the Holy Spirit's sanctification, the blood and sprinkling of Jesus Christ. We've been, we were dead to sin, we've been made alive. We were spiritually away from God. We've been brought into the family of God. Who, who am I? Who are you? If you trusted Jesus as your Savior, you're a blood-bought child of God. And that answers one of the most important questions in life. Who am I? People today spend lots and lots of money getting an education trying to find out who they are. And there's nothing wrong with a good education. We ought to have it. But secular education can't answer the ultimate question, who are we? Because that can only be answered spiritually. When we trust Jesus as our Savior, we are blood-bought children of His. We've been brought into His family. Well, when that happens, who am I? Where am I going? Verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And, and this is where we got last week. This is where we stopped. We understand who we are. We are blood-bought children of the Lord, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paid for, purchased, been saved by Jesus. Where are we going? We're going to our inheritance. What is that inheritance? That's heaven. That's, that's another word for that. It's, it's heaven. Uh, parents today or grandparents have inheritances for their children. It's basically something that a loved one bequeaths you or leaves you. But for the Christians, our inheritance is heaven. That's our hope. That's where we are headed. To put it in a simple word, y'all, we're going home. This world, as a Christian, this world is not our home. Now, if you're not a Christian, this world is your home. This is all it is. It's all you got. So you better party hard, make your money, climb the corporate ladder, because if that's all there is, that's all there is for the Christian. We're just passing through this place. 
That song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Too many of us have, as Christians feel at home. We're not living as pilgrims. We're not living as strangers alongside the natives. We're living right along with the natives. We're dressing like them, talking like them, acting like them, being like them. We're going through this place, y'all. We're only here for a little while. And we're going home. We talked about it in our Sunday school this morning. Eternal life is not something that happens when we die. Eternal life starts the moment we are born again. Stay with me. A lot of times we say, well, what does it mean to be saved? Well, it means when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Eternal life means from the moment you're made spiritually alive, you live for a purpose. You live for a destination. You live to go home. We're headed home. Peter refers to our home going as our inheritance. And notice it says to start with that our inheritance is according to God's abundant mercy. We don't get God's inheritance because we've earned it. I know y'all find, find this hard to believe. But I am not going to go to heaven because I'm so smart. And I'm not going to go to heaven because I look so good. God's not going to give me an inheritance because I worked so hard to be so righteous and to be so sinless. You know why God gives me an inheritance? Because he wants to. Doesn't that sound crazy? Because of his mercy... Y'all do me a favor. Don't put your faith in me. Because I'm going to let you down. I, I won't mean to. But I will because I'm not perfect. I got news for you. Y'all aren't either. <laughs> Don't put faith in your parents, your grandparents, your husband, your wife, your spouse. They can't get you to heaven. We are saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus saves us. He chose us. We are elected all because of his mercy. We serve such a good God. So many people think about God as that person up in heaven with a big lightning bolt just waiting to throw lightning down to us. We have an inheritance because of his mercy. Not just his mercy, but his abundant mercy. But notice what else about this inheritance in verse 4. This inheritance is incorruptible. It's not going to die. It's not going to rot. It'll last. Have you ever maybe wanted a bowl of cereal or a glass of milk? And the milk looks fine, but when you pour it in your glass, it's curdled. It doesn't look curdled yet, but it's bad. So you take a big old swig of it. Faces y'all are making, I believe y'all have experienced that. Can, can I tell you that our inheritance 
is never going to go away. Our inheritance is never going to rot. Our inheritance is never going to die. Our inheritance is incorruptible. You know, Ford talks about making a truck Ford tough. And I'm not going to get into a conversation over Ford or Chevy. That, that's for another place and another time. But let me tell you what, God's inheritance makes Ford look silly. Because I had a truck and it was pretty tough, but it was not incorruptible. Our inheritance also is undefiled. It's pure. It's clean. It's sinless. Do we realize how much of our world is tainted and affected by sin? Even when we look at, you go to the Smoky Mountains and you look at the beautiful mountains and the beautiful scenery. If you look far enough, you'll see pollution in the sky. You'll see lights. If you walk on a trail, you'll see beautiful water. You might see a squirrel in the trees, hear a deer. But if you look down, you'll obviously see a Pepsi bottle. Our world is tainted by sin. When God created the world, he looked at it and said, it's good. As a matter of fact, he said, it's very good. But when man fell, God put a curse on this old world. He put a curse not only on mankind, but he put it on this earth as well. When we get to heaven, all touch and traces of sin are going to be gone. Not only will our inheritance, not only will home not die, it's pure, it's clean, and it's going to stay that way. Unfortunately, here on earth, the doctors, I'll get new stents and my arteries will be nice and clear, and the doctors say, it really looks good. What I told my cardiologist last time was, I said, yeah, we've been down this road, what's it going to look like six months from now? Because as human beings, we're not made to live forever on this side of eternity, not physically. But y'all, that's a result of sin. When we get when I get to heaven, I won't have to worry about clogged arteries anymore. When you get to heaven, you won't have to worry about stumbling around anymore. When we get to heaven, our inheritance is not gonna die. It's it's gonna stay pure and clean, it's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. If you put a flower in a book, a couple of years from now, if you look at that flower, it's still there, but it's dried out and it's faded. You get a nice new metal roof on your house. You'll be surprised how quickly the sun will fade the metal on a roof. That was pointed out to me in our house. We had a brand new red, but it was red too, brother. You could see it coming from miles away. You could see our red roof because we were the highest house around. And so you could see that old red roof. Somebody say, where do you live? I said, we live in that house with the red roof. I know right where that's at, they'd say. Well, we had a windstorm that came up and blew a sheet of the metal off the roof. This is four or five years after we put the roof on it. When they put that new piece of metal on, 
you could really see how much the sun had faded that metal in just a little bit of time. Sun fades these pews right here. Notice the backs of the pews. Sun, that happens to human things. They fade. They go away. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, everything's still going to look brand new. Everything's going to be brand new because it's not going to fade away. And look what else he says. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. And it's reserved. It's waiting for you. Have you ever been really excited to go to a movie or maybe to try to a certain restaurant or go to a sporting event? And so, and so you get there and you get ready to buy your ticket and it says, I'm sorry, we're sold out. Your place in your inheritance, your inheritance has been reserved for you. It's waiting for you. You don't have to wonder if it's there because it's there. Notice that it's reserved for you. It's personal. My inheritance and your inheritance, that's two different inheritances. Now it's going to be with God, it's going to be in heaven, but it's personal. John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. There is an inheritance. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you made him Lord and Savior of your life, there's an inheritance waiting for you. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved. It's for you. Well, you who, verse 5. You who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. How is our inheritance guaranteed? This, this inheritance, it's guaranteed. And God's guarantee is different than a person's guarantee. I got a set of tires that says it's guaranteed for 50,000 miles. I'm here to tell you all, it ain't going to get 50,000 miles. Human guarantees are different than God's guarantees. God says it's guaranteed. How is it guaranteed? Notice what he says. It's who are kept by the power of God. Aren't you glad that our inheritance is kept by God's power and not ours? Because let me tell you what I do to something. Someone says this particular item is indestructible. Give it to me for about ten minutes. I will tear it up every time. It may be indestructible. It hasn't seen the power of Andy. Andy will tear it up. If the Lord had needed me to keep my inheritance, I'd be in trouble. Because you know what? Even though I'm saved, I'm not sinless. Even though I'm saved, I still struggle. Even though I'm saved, I'm still my own worst enemy sometimes. Aren't you glad God's the one doing the keeping? Amen? Amen? It's God. It's not us. And notice, God doesn't just keep our inheritance for us. But he also keeps us for our inheritance. 
You ever thought about that? It's a two-way thing. Not only is that inheritance waiting for us, it's there, but God is taking care of us to be sure we get there. Because I tell you what, you will never meet a person that's more directly challenged than me. If we get out in the, these country back roads and somebody says go north, I'm like, really? Especially if it's cloudy in the middle of the day, you can't tell where the sun is. You can watch a western on TV and somebody will go from Tennessee to a ranch house in Montana. And they'll go straight there. They never get lost. They'll find, I guess they follow the stars or whatever. They'll, I'll get lost before I get out of the driveway. I'm so thankful that God keeps my inheritance. I'm also thankful he keeps me for my inheritance. A good example of this is the English monarchy. You know, the queen and the king across the big pond over there, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, she's the queen, and her grandson, Prince William, I think, is second in line for the throne. His father, Prince Charles, is going to be the, the king whenever Elizabeth dies or gives up the throne, and I'm pretty sure it'll be when she dies because if she's going to abdicate the throne, she'd have already done it. But if you'll notice, the queen has protection around her. But there's also a protection detail around Charles, and there's also a protection detail around William. Why? Because Queen Elizabeth is keeping the inheritance, the monarchy, for Charles. But she's also keeping Charles for the monarchy. Does that make sense? That's what God's doing with us. He keeps our inheritance, but he's keeping us for our inheritance. As Baptists, we teach, and it's not just Baptist, it's Scripture. We teach that someone who has truly been saved, if you're truly a blood-brought believer in Jesus Christ, if, you're saved, if God has saved you, you're going to stay that way. Because God saved you, God's going to keep you saved. That does not mean let me make that very clear. That does not mean God saves us to live however we want to live. Amen? Doesn't give us a license to sin and carry on. Because if we've been born again, we're going to live different because we've got a new heart, a new mind, a new will. Our want-tos are going to change. But our, our inheritance is kept by God's power through faith. We're saved by faith. We stay saved by faith. We have faith in the fact that God has the power to save us and keep us saved. How do you know you've been saved? The Bible tells me so. How do you know you're going to stay saved? God's word tells me so. I have faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. God's word tells us how to be saved. God's word also tells us that once God saves us, he keeps us. We persevere. And then he says in verse 5 that it's ready to be, re be revealed in the last time. It's ready to be revealed. It belongs to us now, but we can't see it. it it's, it's ready to be revealed. One day, it'll be revealed to us. 
One day we won't be pilgrims. We won't be aliens. We won't be strangers anymore because one day we will be home. But not yet. Who are we? We are blood-bought, chosen children of God. Where are we going? We're going home. We're going to our inheritance. We're going to heaven. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord forever. But what about right now? Notice verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. What's he talking about? All those things he's just said. You keep your inheritance in your mind. Remember who you are. Remember where you're going. Because right now in verse 6, for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Y'all as Christians, we need to live for eternity because we understand that in the future, that's where we're headed. The present's hard. The present is difficult. In the present, Christ followers face difficulties. These difficulties in verse 6, they're for a little while. They're temporary. They're not going to last forever. Somebody says, Brother Andy, I've been sick forever. Brother Andy, I've been going through these hard times forever. Can I share something with you this morning? If you hadn't heard anything else, listen to this. Whatever it is you're going through in this life, compared to eternity, it's just a little while. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. When we've been there 10,000 years, it's just like day one. Somebody says, well, I've been sick all my life. That might be true. But can I ask you a question? If we keep eternity in mind, how long is 70 years? Just a blank, right? Just a little while. It, it's, it's temporary. And even if it's terminal, stay with me here. Even if the trials and the tr struggles we're going through takes us to death's door. Because i got news for all of us. Unless the Lord comes back, we're all going to die. Amen? Amen? A new statistic, or a new study's been done, 100 out of 100 people die. Something's going to get us there. It may be a terminal disease. But can I tell you, even if it's terminal, it's only temporary because God's going to you. It may be the other side of eternity. Maybe on this side of God will always heal the sick. We just don't know if he'll do it on this side of eternity or next. Remember when we're going through hard times that they are temporary. It's not forever. Keep on going. He says there in verse 6, it's, it's for a little while. If need be or if it's necessary, he says you've been grieved by various trials. Our trials are temporary. Our trials are also different. You and I go through different things, don't we? Uh, some people have different illnesses than others. Some people have relationship issues. Some folks have job issues. We go through different tests and different trials and different things. 
We got a guy at prison, in the, in the prison where I work, no matter what it is that's wrong with somebody, he always has something that's worse. Y'all ever met somebody like that? You know, uh, I got a sore toe. Well, you know what? All my, my whole foot's sore. I got a broken leg. Well, you know, one time my, I had five broken ribs. My mama's sick at home. Well, you know, my grandparents are sick. Whatever it was, y'all, we have different trials. Different, different struggles, different things. Don't belittle someone else's trouble because you think yours is worse. Just realize as Christians and as humans, we have difficulties. They're temporary, but they're different. We need to recognize that. It also says there in verse 6, for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved. Our troubles are temporary. Our troubles are varied. Our troubles are also real. Grief is real. If you're sick and you don't feel good, it, that, that's a, that's, it's, it's real. If you've lost a loved one, it's real. If you're watching a loved one be sick, it's real. Grief is real. Suck it up, buttercup. It isn't helpful. Now, I know we have to keep going, and I know we have to keep working, but can we acknowledge the fact that our troubles, our trials, our tribulations are real? And I might not understand what you're going through because I haven't experienced it. It doesn't make what you're feeling any less real. We need to cry with those that are crying. We need to shout and rejoice with those that are shouting and rejoicing because grief is real. Also, grief, it says in verse 7, somebody says, well, why do we go through all of this stuff? That the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our troubles and our trials are valuable because they teach us lessons. Our troubles and our trials are valuable because they strengthen our faith. Have you ever gone through something you said, I can't deal with this, I can't do this, and now you find yourself at the other side of it and you said you did it? You did it with the Lord's power, but you did it, right? And your faith is stronger for it. Your faith has been tested. Your faith has been tried. So who am I? I'm a blood-bought child of God. Where am I going? I'm going home. I'm going to my inheritance. It's going to last forever. I'm going to be with the Lord. It's reserved. It's got my name on it. Hallelujah. But what about right now? What's my purpose? Our purpose right now is to deal with the present with eternity in mind. Did you know that Jesus is involved in all three of those things? Jesus is the answer to all three of those questions. Who am I? I'm a blood-bought child of God. How am I bought? By the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, his, his death on the cross, 
bought my salvation. It, it, bought, it gave me my papers to be adopted into God's family. Where am I going? I'm going to heaven to be with Jesus. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. What am I supposed to do right now? Deal with the present. Glorify Jesus. Point others to Jesus. Can I ask you this question? When you're going through hard times, where's your focus? Is your focus on your troubles? Uh, if our focus is on our troubles, can I tell you it's in the wrong place? We need to be looking, what lesson does God want me to learn? Or, how can I glorify God in spite of my troubles? Is there a way I can use this to point somebody else to Jesus? If you're going through relationship problems, tell you what, my, my husband, he just sometimes does the craziest thing. I don't know why my husband acts like he does. Can I ask you, wife? Or can I tell you, rather, instruct you, admonish you, act like a Christian towards your husband, and you just might see your husband's attitude change. Going through sickness, it might be God wants you to witness to your doctor, amen? Going through job trouble, it might be God, Jesus wants to, you to witness to your co-workers. There's whatever circumstance that we find ourselves, there's always a way to glorify God. There's always a way to point folks to Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this little paragraph here in 1 Peter uh, that helps us understand who we are and where we're going and what we're supposed to do right now. Father, I pray that you'd help us deal with the right now. Where we're going part, that part's easy. It's the where we are right now that we struggle with. I know we have folks that are in this audience today that are going through health issues, relationship issues, job issues, just so many different varied trials and hard times that we go through. I pray that you would help us all go through these hard times with the future in mind. Help us keep our inheritance in our mind. Help us understand where we're going. Help us understand that we weren't made for this life. But we're going through this to get to our inheritance. In Jesus' name, amen.